Hello, those of you welcome, uh, those of you joining us online, those of you joining us in person here for 9 o'clock. Uh, I am so grateful to be here. I'll share a little bit about more about my new thing. Uh, I just got back from a 10-day uh, trip to Israel, a pilgrim trip, and I'll, you'll see some of the things that I saw, and I want to take you with me this morning here on Palm Sunday. Uh, my name is Paul Olson, pastor of Global Impact and Adult Ministry here. My first sermon as a pastor in this place, as Elam's lead pastor, was on Palm Sunday, uh, six years ago. <laughs> so my first sermon uh, for you all folks as Mill City, it's such an honor, and I'm so thankful to be able to have this opportunity today to share with you from God's Word. I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're also going to be, that's the fourth gospel, John. The third gospel is Luke, so we're going to be looking at Luke's account of Palm Sunday through the lens, through the eyes of John chapter 17. We are in a series called Messiah, and we have been in what is known as the Upper Room Discourses in the book of John. Chapters 13 to 17 are when Jesus met in an upper room with his disciples and taught them deeper uh, theology about who he was and what he was doing. And so it's amazing to have that and to look back on some of Jesus' actions, the things that he does. And today, I think, is no exception. In this upper room, Jesus gives us a vision for the world. And at the end of this great vision for the world and for his disciples, he prays. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then we read here in chapter 17, starting with verse 20. Here's what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, I pray. Amen. All right, what is Palm Sunday? Is it just another holy day on the calendar that we mark off? Is it just the beginning of Holy Week? Some have called it National Donkey Appreciation Day. <laughs> uh, I like that. I think we can appreciate the donkey. It is indeed a great day for appreciating because this means the end of Lent. Today is the end of Lent, and Jesus sets his face like Flint, to Jerusalem. I took some video on Tuesday when I was there 
at what's known as the Palm Sunday Pathway. So I want to take you with me on this journey. And there you see on the Palm Sunday Pathway, no palms, (laughs) for one, but (laughs) in the background, the city of Jerusalem. Jesus would have viewed that Temple Mount, along with Herod's temple, in the background as he descended what is the Mount of Olives. In the story... Jesus' mission is coming to a pinnacle. He will die for the sin of the world. He will triumph over evil and death. And three days later, be raised from the dead, proving his divinity. The only begotten of the Father. The Father that so loving the world sent his Son in the world, not to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. So what is Palm Sunday? It is Jesus, Messiah, arriving on the scene. The Messiah arriving on the scene in the most holy city. The people who had been following him through Galilee were shouting in triumph, waving their palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were worshiping God with smiles on their face and tears running down there in joy. They were rejoicing in Jesus. They were calling out, Hosanna, God save us. But, and here is the tension of this story we call Palm Sunday and of this text. Luke, the third gospel writer, provides the most detailed account. He writes, And when Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept. So the crowd cheered, but Jesus wept. The crowd praised God, but Jesus is sobbing. This is the introduction to today, what we're going to look at. But in in another way, I want to introduce you to a few uh, windows. (laughs) In this beautiful sanctuary, we have many windows, and I want you to get familiar with those. But here on my right is the Elam Palm window. Here on my left is the Garden of Gethsemane. Each depict a very different scene. The window of palms depict an oasis, 12 wells, and 70 palms from the book of Exodus. The people of Israel were exiting. They were escaping. They find comfort and shade provided by God along the way. That is the Elam palm window. The window of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. The oil press, the olive oil press, where Jesus prays. And on that night when he was betrayed, he was under so much pressure He sweated blood. He weeps and he wails. He wrestles through the night. The palm window is a picture of freedom from oppression and evil. The Gethsemane window is a picture of vulnerability and facing evil, running into darkness. The palm window is a celebration of community and belonging. It's bright and it's colorful. The Gethsemane window presents Jesus isolated, lonely, in vexation, dark, and drab. Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Keep this tension in mind as we go, and let me submit to you that all of life is lived between these two windows. All of life is lived between these two windows. Some of you have been here this week. I know that some of you have been there this week. And many of us spend our days rejoicing, don't we? And we go back and forth Because Jesus was a human too. 
The journey of Holy Week will lead us from here to there and back again. Here's what I want to say today. Palm Sunday is not just about Jesus or his disciples. As Jesus nears Jerusalem in the final week of his earthly ministry, it becomes about the whole world. It be, it doesn't, it's not about Jesus having a band of people he calls his political allies. He looks to Jerusalem, the place which was to be a light on a hill for the whole world, the house of prayer, and he weeps. And this last week of his earthly ministry becomes about that whole world, past and present, future, the future and the mission of Jesus to bring salvation. Jesus is going to accomplish the work of salvation on his own, but it will spread to the world through the community of Jesus' followers. That's you and me. So we don't get a whole lot of explanation from the gospel writers about the Sunday moment, but we do have John's discourse. So let's go back there now in John 17, 20. If you've got that pulled up, John 17, 20, Jesus says, and let me read again, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Let's break that down. Let's break that down. Just so my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples seated with him. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. What, what is Jesus saying? Them is the disciples. They're gathered with him. Jesus is praying for those outside the room, specifically those who will believe in me, Jesus says, through their message. Whose message? Their message. What does Jesus mean? In this prayer, Jesus envisions the future that the message he gave to his group of disciples would become their message. They would own it. Jesus gave it to them. Now they would own it and go into the world and share that message. And it would cause others to believe in him. We see this in the Palm Sunday story. Let's look back a few days earlier now in Luke. Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem for Passover. He decides that he wants to ride into Jerusalem on a colt on the foal of a donkey because he knew this would signal to everyone around him that he is the Messiah. He wants them to know he is the Messiah and he's going to show them through the rest of the week what that Messiah is like. We've been talking about that in our series, Messiah. So he sends two of his disciples ahead to get the animal. And uh, this next video is walking through the Mount of Olives uh, in kind of in a more country view. And I thought about this being the disciples who kind of head off the main path and they go out to find this donkey that the Lord Jesus says is there. So the Lord say, uh, as he approached, uh, Luke says in verse 29, so flip your Bibles back over to Luke chapter 19, as he approached Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, those, those were Mount Olive trees there you saw, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> say, the Lord needs it. I love this. I love this uh, word that Jesus gives to his disciples to go forth and to say to the owner of the colt. I love those words. The Lord needs it. Now, that's quite the message. They go into the village. The colt is indeed there. The owner asks them, what are you doing? Why are you taking my animal? And they say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> they don't know who the Lord is. The Lord, Kurios, this Lord, and the owner gives it freely. Jesus was brilliant. 
Obviously, we know Jesus was brilliant, but suddenly it's on the onus of the owner to give the donkey at least partial usage to the Lord, whoever that Lord may be. Uh, I almost didn't make it back here in time for this Sunday because my flight was delayed, actually canceled by the airline. We had gotten up in the air and we came back down and then they said, all hundred of you, you're going to have to find a way home because your flight is canceled and we don't have any more seats. And so a hundred of us are on our phones. We're trying to get a seat to get home. And I, this is Saturday more, this is Friday night. And I'm thinking if I can get on the next flight, I can get home in time. Otherwise, so when I got on, they said, well, we can get you a flight home Sunday. How's that? <laughs> it's like, oh, great. So I didn't, I didn't have a seat. And I went, to, I, I went to sleep. I slept for a couple hours. I got up, and my wife, Heather, she texts me. Uh, she's not here. She'll be at the next service. There, I, don't think, I don't see them. She texts me, and she says, I went on some website and saw that there's a seat for that flight. I was like, it's $800. <laughs> and so I was like, there's a seat at least. Let me go ask. So I walk over to the person at the gate, and I said, hi, my name is Paul. I really need a seat on this flight. The, uh, you know, I didn't say the Lord needs it. <laughs> but I'm thinking the Lord needs me to be on this. Turns out this lady was a believer because she pulls it up. She looks up my name like six different ways. Finally, we find me. She opens the seating chart and there's the seat. She clicks on it. We both jump back. She said, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and I said, absolutely, Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, so the Lord uh, needs it. The Lord needed that seed, and I needed that seed, and I am so thankful. I was one of 100 people to get that seat. And it just happened to be that I was there in the right place at the right time. Let's talk about this place, this building. The Lord needs this place, this building. The Lord needs you. In fact, the messengers of the apostles and the disciples went throughout the world saying to people, the Lord needs you. And I remember as a young guy, when I got into ministry right out of college, I felt like I could be replaced. I felt like, I don't know if the Lord needs me. I don't, I don't really think that's a thing. I don't think the Lord really has a need. He's so powerful. He's so mighty. He's so pow he can make anyone do what, they, what he wants them to do. That's not the picture we have in the scripture here of the donkey. Jesus is going to ride a donkey. The Lord needs the donkey. He sends his disciples forward, and they said, the Lord has need of it. That owner that day participated in the coming of the Messiah. That owner that day gave of himself so that the, the Messiah could ride towards Jerusalem and fulfill the prophecy from Zechariah. Jesus gives his disciples exactly what they needed to say. The owner who is the world in this text, doesn't know who the master is, but the master must be important. The master needs my animal. The, that master needs something from me. That is a question that all of us here in this room must ask. And if we're going to do this, if we're going to come together as churches to be here on this corner for another 135 years, amen? If we're going to do this for another 135 years, we have to realize that the Lord needs us. Not because he's not powerful enough, 
but because he chooses to work through us. That's amazing. Jesus has given us a message. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of that donkey owner. Let's keep reading from Jesus' prayer in verse 22. So back to John, verse 22 and later. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and I in them and you in me, so that, so that, now here's why, they may be brought to complete unity, so that they may be brought to complete unity, perfect unity, to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So the, world goes, the word goes forth from the disciples to the world so that the world believes. Jesus then asks that not just his word, but also that his glory fill those who believe the word. That his glory fill those. That Jesus is actually sharing his glory. God does not share his glory with anyone except for his chosen. We are sharing in God's glory as those who believe in the word. And that glory looks like sitting on a donkey. A donkey that's never been ridden. Kind of awkward. A little bit humble. Right? Zechariah says it will be a humble king who comes. This king is humble. That's, that's Jesus' glory. And Jesus will be raised up in another way, not just upon a donkey, but on a cross. That cross will become the glory of God and the love of God expressed to the whole world that they may know. The goal of the word going forth is not just so people get the word. It has a further aim of people sharing in God's glory and experiencing his love. Praise God. That they share in the glory and experience of God's love. They experience a complete and perfect unity. All right, so let's go back to Luke's moment here for a minute. Back to Luke chapter 19. When he came near the place where the road was, uh, goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, in Luke's gospel... He announces Jesus with these very words as a baby. Peace and glory to the highest. Peace among men. Peace in the world. Glory shining brilliantly in Bethlehem, a star shining brightly for the world to see. In Leviticus 23, Moses commands the people to do this during the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the first day, he says you're to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows. And that, that, that palm and willow celebration would last seven days. And the people would praise God. And they would lift up their voices. And so what we're doing here this morning, as we sing, as we lift up, as, as Asha said earlier, we know that the King of Kings is ridden. He is ridden indeed. <laughs> it's like what I like to say. He is ridden. He is ridden indeed. He has come. He has come, and we are here to celebrate it and to shine and to blow the roof off this place, which we did just a little bit ago. I, it's amazing. It's amazing when God's people meet and his spirit is there. A few of us from, uh, so I'm helping to start what's known as the Global Impact Team, and some of us from the team went to a missionary conference uh, a few, like a month ago, 
it feels like a year ago now, but, uh, but it was like a month ago. And we heard some amazing teaching and some incredible stories. And one of the stories that was told from the front was the local people in Turkey. Remember, there was a terrible earthquake there. Tens of thousands of people died. And the Christian church was active, and they were responding. And what they described as a scene that I'll never forget was a Catholic priest driving a van donated by the Protestant church filled with supplies from the Orthodox community. That is unity. That is complete unity. That is love. That is the glory of God working through a people to do his work and to be his presence in the world. They told two more stories. Maybe I'll share one one with you at, at some point, but amazing stories coming from the front lines as people do relief work in Turkey. Jesus draws nearer to the city. He sees Herod's, he sees Herod's impressive temple, one of, the, one of the wonders of the world of the time, one of the most impressive buildings ever constructed. He sees that impressive temple. He sees the walls. He remind, he's reminded that there are many who will oppose what he is all about. And so let's stay in Luke here for just one more segment. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. They're, they're cheering you on. And not just cheering you on. They're saying, Hosanna. They're calling you the Messiah. Tell them to be quiet. Jesus' response is unbelievable. He said, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. And let me tell you how many stones are in Jerusalem. <laughs> let me tell you how many rocks. There's a lot. For me, that's, the sound would probably be deafening if the stones decided to cry out. Luke 19.41, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. So you see how the, 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 we're going from palm to suffering, palm, belonging, community, acceptance, joy, praise, to now rejection. And as Jesus approaches, he sees the city and what it represents is opposition to what God wants to do, opposition to God's heart and his will going forward. Jesus knows that even many in the crowd praising him will be the same crowd who will shout, crucify him later that week. At this moment, Jesus begins to weep and a disconnect occurs between even Jesus and his disciples emotionally. Jesus goes somewhere. I spent a lot of time in the airport <laughs> this last 36 hours and I thought about the person who comes on and says, your gate has changed to the other side of the airport. Please walk over there. And then like 10 minutes later, your gate has changed to the other side of the airport. Walk. <laughs> and it's like Jesus is in one terminal and his disciples are in another. They're at the right airport. They're just not where Jesus is yet. And that is the tension. And that is the story. And that is where we need to have a holy week. We need to have the experience of Holy Week to remind ourselves Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Silent Saturday. Well, Egg Hunt Saturday. <laughs> but silent.
Don't be silent. Don't be. That'd be a little weird. To be fully connected to Jesus in the day-to-day. That is his desire. That we have to be willing to see how he sees and feel what he feels. And that Holy Week ahead of us is there to get us out of our comfort zone, our, our, our la-la land, our, our video game world, our virtual world, and let us experience the raw pressure of an oil press. Throw ourselves on the rock and say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will be, but your will be done. I want to give a closing story and then just three kind of points to take away today. On this trip, uh, an unexpected surprise, I went with two pastors, Brian and Perry Zahn, from Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, and we had a guide who was responsible for kind of caring for where we were going and doing some of the archaeological background, and our guide was uh, Jack Sarah, and I have a picture of Jack here. Um, I had the great privilege and honor to meet this man and spend time with him this week. He is a Palestinian Christian. I know that sounds like an oxymoron to many of us, a Palestinian Christian, Arabic-speaking man, whose family has lived in Jerusalem for many generations back, hundreds of years even. And when Jack, uh, Jack at the end of the trip shared his testimony, and he said when he was a teenager, his family, who was nominally Catholic, they weren't uh, strong Christians, they just were Catholic, they, uh, they began to experience people coming around saying that they're going to be uh, uh, removed from their home. And this was after a couple of wars in the 70s and 80s in Jerusalem, a very difficult time to be around. And Jack began to join some of the protests He began to join some of the protests of the Palestinian people against the government who was trying to expel them from the place where they had lived for many, many years. And Jack ended up in prison. He ended up in jail many times. and He he said three to four years of being in and out of prison. And one day, at the end of one of his times in jail, he met Jesus. And somebody shared with him the good news about Jesus. And he believed. And then he wanted to know more. And as he knew more and more, he grew in his faith. And then he shared, one day, somebody came and said, Jack, I want you to go with me. We're going to go to a group where there's a diverse amount, different Christians that you'll meet there. And little did he know he would be going back to a Bible study with Jewish Christians. And that night, as they had Bible study, as they had worship, that tension in the air began to fall. People began to confess. People began to say, confess their sin to one another, and a Jewish Christian came to Jack and he said, I'm sorry for the ways in which your people, your family have been treated. And Jack said, I'm sorry for the ways in which I have instigated and rebelled. And that day they found peace. That day they began to experience what it's like to make peace in this world. Jesus, when he looked, when he, when he went down that hill, the Mount of Olives, he looked upon Jerusalem, he said, Oh, that they would know what makes for peace. Oh, that they would know what makes for peace. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and I can tell you, Jack looks at the city the same way. Oh, that we would know what makes for peace. He's going to the U.S. State Department next week to give a testimony about what the work that they're doing at Bethlehem Bible College in Palestine, West Bank. 
a modern hero of the faith. We are called to take the word of Messiah, Jesus, to the world. That's the only way it will be effective. Jesus wants to display his glory and demonstrate his love through us. Yes, he needs you. He needs me. And Jesus wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to be broken for the things that break his heart. He wants us to be broken for the things that break God's heart. So Palm Sunday is not just about Jesus or his disciples. It is that final week of earthly ministry where it becomes about the whole world, the vision that Jesus has for the whole world, and it will spread to the world through the community of Jesus' followers, which is us. Please pray with me. Holy God, we are amazed at you. In this moment, you could have risen up to take any military on in the world. We know that. You had that power. You chose instead to humbly ride the foal of a donkey. You chose instead for your throne, a cross. For your crown, thorns. You chose instead to die for us, to empower us. And for the joy set before you, you endured that cross, scorning its shame. Lord, may we now throw off every sin and weight that encumbers us. May we, Lord, run the walk of faith. May we run with you. And Lord, the many crowd of witnesses from the past and present cheering us on. In your name we pray. Amen.